Praise the Lord. All right, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. We're talking about the Lord's Prayer. And this is the words of Jesus speaking. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, for the awesome privilege once again of partaking of your word. And we just thank you, Father, for your word being full of the wisdom and the mystery of heavenly things, Father. Translate it in a form and fashion that we can abide by it, live by it, and live productive uh, lives before you on this earth. And we just praise you, Father, that your word would speak to our hearts, Father. If there's various things that we're going through, decisions we need to make, obstacles that are in our way, we praise you, Father, that through your word you would empower us, you would guide us, you would give us insight from on high, that would enable us not only to walk in liberty, but also in fruitfulness, Lord. Let us be people of power, insight, love, and impact before everybody that we come across. Father, let every opportunity for us to interact with people be something that either leads themselves to salvation or plants a seed in their life, Father, that will make them hunger and thirst for Christ. And we praise you, Father, that as we abide by your word, Father, you would highly turn everything that is bad into a place of harvest, turn every situation that is errant into a a time and opportunity for righteousness. And we praise you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Now, in the beginning of this series last week, we talked about several things. First thing we talked about is our Father, which are in heaven. And that really showed us that the emphasis of every part of our life, amen, needs to be on our Heavenly Father. As we're getting out and going about our business on a daily basis, are we just jumping up saying, hey, what is my desire, my will, my plan for today? Or are we saying that, God, I want your will to be done. I have a mindset that is full of you. I want to be pleasing to you in everything that I do today. And regardless of me encountering good or bad things, do I keep things in the mindset that whether things are up and down, good or bad, right or wrong, that you're at the heart of everything that I do on a daily basis. So even on the worst of days, I'm blessed because I serve my Heavenly Father in heaven. And even if I'm in a place of betrayal, isolation, rejection, I'm still somebody that's well-favored because I'm a child of the eternal creator of the entire universe. So that makes me a prized possession of God. Amen. We can look at things so much differently if we look at the fact that everything, when you all sum it, sum it up, revolves around our relationship with God. Amen. That's a primary thing. And then next we looked at the fact, hallowed be the name of God. And we looked at the fact that not only is the name of God undefiled and pure and righteous and holy, but as we will reverence him in terms of everything that we seek to do and everything that we do perform in life. We keep the mindset that I hallow his name, I reverence him. Amen. We saw that not in response to that, but as a a part of our relationship with him, as we reverence and consider him holy, 
he turns that around and purifies us and makes us appear holy before people that are around us. And even more so, we're pure before his sight. That's an important thing. So he takes us through a process in which he cleanses us. Because as we reverence him and say, he is the epitome of everything in my life. He's the most preeminent thing. And we choose to bend our knee to serve him, to emulate him, and to say, hey, I'm not clean. Lord, purify me because I want to be more like you. We see that the process does something in each one of us as well. Then we talked about thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. It's not about me and my personal small kingdom and what I want to attain in life. It's about the kingdom of God and what can I do for it. See, anything that we accomplish in life should just be something that is really building upon the foundation of the kingdom overall. It shouldn't be like, okay, God, I'll do all of this for you, but yet this small slice of my universe is all associated with me and my desires. No, everything we do is culminating in the, the equipping, the building, the expansion of the kingdom of God. Amen? So even if I attain something, it's not that this thing is separate outside of my relationship with God, but it is all accumulating and building upon the kingdom overall. I had somebody say, okay, well, you could talk about this, talk about that, but okay, that's a church thing, and this is, you know, a personal thing. Well, with me, there's no separation. You know, as Christians, there should be no separation. There is not my life in church and then the life of Brian Fox outside of that. No, it's all one package that falls under the confines and the umbrella of my relationship with God. Amen? Hallelujah. So my Audi is the kingdom of God's vehicle. Amen? My home belongs to the kingdom of God. The clothes on my body belong to the kingdom of God. Amen? See, he's just lending it to me. Anything I have, anything I use, anything that's within me, intelligence, talent, whatever, all belongs to God. So even though I might do some things that appeal to me, at the end of the day, the only thing that really amounts to anything is what does it do for the kingdom of God overall. Amen? Hallelujah. And when you have that mindset, even when you're doing the fun things, you'll find that there's an opportunity for you to impact people for Jesus Christ, even though you might be playing sports or watching television or whatever. Kyle plays PlayStation. He has a Christian brother that he's interacting with through the PlayStation. Amen? So if you have the mindset that I don't have a part of my life that is sequestered outside of God, God could be in the mix of everything that you do. You'll find that God has a sense of humor and likes to have fun too. (laughs) Amen? Through you. (laughs) And sometimes at your expense. (laughs) I've been there where I said, I know God is laughing at me right now. (laughs) because I can't believe I'm in this situation. (laughs) So everything is about the kingdom of God coming, amen, and expanding the kingdom of God. And then the last thing we closed with last week was thy will be done, which Jesus we saw despite the anxiety, despite the fear in his flesh and his emotions about the upcoming execution. Jesus said, no matter what the cost, no matter how great the sacrifice, your will has to be performed whether I like it, whether it inconveniences me, even if it leads to my death. Amen? Your will be done. Is that the mindset that we have on a daily basis? Now we're going to continue on with the next thing that Jesus told us to pray about. And that's the thing. When he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, we don't necessarily have to quote the entire prayer word for word. 
It wasn't so much knowing a passage of Scripture and quoting it verbatim as it was a mindset that Jesus Christ wants us to pray on a, on a certain day. So you may not wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thy kingdom come. Amen? But as you go out, you do things, you behave a certain way, you conduct yourself, you speak, you act, you perceive according to the principles of God being honored at that place where you go or you serving as a vessel that ushers in the presence of God where you're at. Amen? So anyway, like I said, you're not necessarily praying it verbatim, but you have the mindset. And the next thing that Jesus Christ said was give us this day our daily bread. We're going to read that. Matthew chapter 6, 26 through 34. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And that is a true story. <laughs> Sufficient for today, amen, unto the day is the evil thereof. You got enough problems today. They'd be worrying about the next five years. And that's the thing. Even though we're the most brilliant creatures in all of creation, amen, the most gifted, we had the most incredible relationship with God that no other creature in existence has, we were literally patterned, constructed, according to God saying, I want something like myself. And yet we were the biggest worry warts and the least trusting of everything that God has ever c commanded, defined, or, or created. Amen? Creativity, ingenuity, and having a reasoning mind can be a dangerous thing when it's out of control, especially if it's outside the confines of the principles of God. Because animals, as we see here, they don't sow. When was the last time you saw a cow out on a farm planting seed to generate a harvest of corn that he could eat? Do you see chickens out there on a the farm and you walk up and say, What are you doing, Mr. Chicken? Oh, well, I had to get up at 4 a.m. to start the tractor to plow this field. Because I want some corn. You don't see chickens, cows, <laughs> hogs. You go out in the nature. You don't see the coyote, the wolf, the tiger, the lion. You don't see any of those animals out there fighting and trying to make ends meet. They just live. And in their own internal, innate way, they trust God to provide for them. A perfect example that God literally illustrated to me last summer when we had the major hurricane is that before the hurricane, I did a sermon on basically storm-proofing your home. Amen? 
And I talked about us going around and the same way that the Israelites marked the doorposts in, in the ex- before the Exodus so that the angel of death wouldn't come in and harm them. I talked about going around your home and instead of marking blood, taking anointing oil and anointing every aspect of your home. And I talked about the way in which we pray and guard and ask God to encamp his angels around our property so it wouldn't be harmed. And as I was looking at the, the hurricane tracker on the Internet, we were literally in the path of that storm. I'm not talking about, okay, well, we're here in Cherry Hill slash Philadelphia, and, oh, it's going to hit Pittsburgh or, um, you know, Allentown. I'm talking about, I'm looking on the map, and it's saying, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, Philadelphia, you are right in the eye, bullseye, ground zero, I'm going to hit you. So I started praying, you know, that God would divert it off course, and I went around my property and marked the boundaries with oil and everything. And I prayed in faith and said, God, you encamp your angels around the four corners of my, my home. And nothing's going to happen to our home, our cars, inside of our house. We as people, we're going to be protected. And matter of fact, extend it outward, Lord, and protect our neighbors. Amen. As a result of us being here in the neighborhood. And throughout all this you know, see it bear down and bear down and bear down. And, you know, from a human perspective, it comes a point where a little anxiety could come in. And I literally felt some anxiety at one point, and I started praying. And you know when I got my total liberty that we were going to be okay? Looked out in the backyard and some wild turkeys out there. They knew more about God's angelic protection that we prayed being there at the house than we knew in praying it. They literally, in the midst of the heaviest part of that storm, as the hurricane was bearing on our property, wild turkeys said, hey, oh, you see those angels? Let's go there. <laughs> so maybe we couldn't see the angels, but I really believe the, the animals could see the presence of God and what he was doing from our prayers. They probably said, oh, look at them big men standing there. <laughs> oh, we better go in the middle of there. Oh, they look at them at the four corners there in that property. Okay, let's go in the center of the backyard and them turkeys sitting right there in the heat of that hurricane. Amen? So the animals don't have fear of the provision of God or the protection of God. Amen? And yet we as people, because of the creativity of our minds, we create, we form and fashion imaginations about all the terrible things that can happen to us on a daily basis. And sometimes... If we don't cast down imaginations and take control of it, we could take a small problem that can occur and explode it out to this super nuclear meltdown of what could occur in our lives on a daily basis. (sighs) (laughs) So instead of us using our minds to determine how to serve God faithfully or how we could trust God to solve our problems, instead... We use that same creativity, and sometimes we waste our intellect and our talents on seeing all the outcomes of the negative things things that can happen, and then exerting ourselves trying to intercept what can occur before it even manifests. Amen? So the best thing we could do is maybe learn a few lessons from the animals. Amen? And I think that's why Jesus Christ said, look at them. They neither sow or reap, but yet God take care of each one of us. We have stuff that we can learn from them because in our self-sufficient approaches to trying to do things, a lot of times we complicate things and make things even worse than they are. And one of the things as I was praying last night, the Lord took me back to what I shared, I believe it was last week, when he said, when Moses said, who should I say has sent me back here to Pharaoh? He said, I am that I am sent you. 
And what that really means, I mean, there's so many things that we could say and share about I am that I am. But one of the things he really struck me as it, as it um, affects looking at the outcome and the future and our problems is God didn't say I was who I was or I was that I was. Neither did God say I will be that I will be. He told Moses, I am that I am. I am is what? Presence tense. Amen? Present tense. See, we ain't got to worry about the I will that will be. We need to worry about the I am that is right now. Because the stuff we got to deal with is a right now thing. Amen? So we can look to him, we can thank him, and we can basically learn something from him. Because he's not going around, even though he has taken care of us in the past. And he was the guy who was. Amen? And even though he will be there in the future when we need him. So we could say he is the I will that, I, that will be. But the fact is, we're not there yet. We need to be worrying about what's going on right now. Neither should we be worrying about all the 10 million mistakes we made in the past or what happened to us in the past. You can't go back into the past unless you've got a time machine. So the past is gone. The past can't be altered. All you can really do, even if you're dealing with the past, is deal with the past, learn from it, maybe shift course in terms of the things that got you off course, but the fact is, you can only deal with what's going on right now, here in the moment. Amen? I don't know if I'll be here in 2014. I'm not trying to scare you and say I'm sick and something's going on because nothing is. But the reality is, I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, let alone next year, let alone being on a five-year plan. So what I can worry about and concern myself with is what's going on in my life right here in this moment. So God tells us to live in the moment. That doesn't mean that we don't plan for our future because he does tell us in the Old Testament about, you know, the grasshopper and the ant and how the ant stores and prepares for the winter season. Yes, we need to prepare, but there's a difference between preparing for something or anticipating something with fear. (gasps) Is this going to happen to me? Or preparing like, okay, this could happen, that could happen. I'm doing some careful planning, so I'm ready for the drought in advance. Yeah, you could do that. But when you're looking at the future with fearful anticipation, that's outside of what God desires for you. Amen? God wants us to worry about what the problems are, not worry, to concern ourselves with the problems of now and don't start imagining a bunch of stuff that's going to happen before it happens. Amen? And here's the thing. We're very good at thinking about the stuff that can happen, but do you notice that when you're always thinking about the future, somehow your imagination only goes to the negative? We don't have imaginations about, oh, God's going to bust me with this, he's going to do that, God's going to prosper. You ever notice that? Your imaginations always go to the negative. Oh, my God, what about this? How about that? (laughs) We just have a way of using the creative aspects of our mind to only seem doom and gloom and negativity as opposed to, whoa, a year from now? Wow, God's going to launch me into this. God's going to propel me into that. No, we use our energy to say, I got to watch out for that. I could be fearful of this. Amen? So we're negative. See, it's that, it's that fleshly spirit and it's the world system. And a lot of times you've got to look at what is the company that you're keeping. Because even if you're positive, they'll try to weigh you down with their negativity so you start thinking contrary to what God has for you. So we have to be very careful, amen? And that's why, like I said, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. 
in terms of what we worry about and concern ourselves about on a daily basis and what we pray. Lord, sufficient is for today meeting my, my everyday needs. I worry about the five-year plan once I get there. Amen? Hallelujah. Because God's going to take care of it. And the fact is, so many different things change on a daily basis that if we sit here and try to scrutinize, evaluate, analyze, and prepare for every possibility, it takes one moment for things to shift, and you just never know. Perfect example is the housing bust. How many lives have been affected by that? Good and bad. Christian and non-Christian, how many people have been affected by that? And nobody saw it coming until it happened. Amen? So we could plan, but the only way you can really ensure your future is to leave it all in the hands of God. Just leave it in his hands. Hallelujah. So we could plan, but do our plans in conjunction with God and don't allow fear and anxiety to come in the way. Matter of fact, that's what Jesus Christ actually said there. He says, can you, which of you... By taking thought. That phrase, taking thought, we don't really understand it clearly according to what he was saying in the original Greek and Aramaic. When he said taking thought, he's really saying, which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to your stature? In other words, can you make yourself taller by being anxious? No, but you can shrivel yourself up. You can shrivel yourself up by being anxious. I mean, that's medically proven that if you allow anxiety to take hold of you, it will eat you up. You'll internalize it. Uh, you, we've already shared a number of times. Medical science has proven that if you allow an anxiety to take root, it, it can lead to heart attack, stroke, arthritis, high blood pressure, all these different things. And how many people, when anxiety comes in, eat, you know, overeat? from anxiety, or stop eating because of anxiety. Amen? So you can harm yourself by allowing these things to occur, and that's why he tells us don't take thought as it relates to being anxious about your future. Instead, fully trust me in everything you do. I'll take care of it. Amen? Hallelujah. So our Heavenly Father has promised to take care of us. Promised. <laughs> And that's why he tells us, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow's cast in the oven, how shall he not more take care of us? And he even criticizes people. How can you be so lacking in your faith? Amen? How can you be so limited in your faith when you see all the different things I take care of around you on a daily basis? So we need to trust in God. I mean, I, I shared before when I had the cancer, it was going through a lot of things, not only in terms of healing, but also in terms of the financial stuff. And I just remember this one distinct day as I was coming out of prayer, and the Lord just reminded me, uh, you dedicated your home and all these things to me. Why would I let you lose them? Well, you dedicated them to me. I didn't just get the house and say, this is mine. Forget you, God. No, we got our house. We immediately dedicated it to God. He said, why would you worry about something I gave you? something that you allow people to live in, something that you've had years and years of Bible study and counseling and other things, you know, putting together my word to touch and equip and, and prepare and heal lives. Why would I let you lose that? So why are you worrying about it? No matter what things look like. I had four bank accounts with $117 combined in all of them. <laughs> I was trying to broadcast, 
you know, sermons and stuff to the whole world, trying to build up the business, trying to get income to, to feed my family. Family of four, $117 in the bank. <laughs> and I made six figures before that. Literally went from probably 120000 to 17000 in one year. Still in my house. <laughs> Still in my house. Still in my house. And God did it. And sometimes you've got to dedicate stuff. You know, sometimes you can't. You've got to stop looking at yourself. And sometimes, as we see here, sometimes you, you reap in the area that you haven't sown. But then there's sometimes we need to sow in the area and God will reap it at the right time. You know, we were struggling financially in the very area in which we were lacking and we were hurting dramatically. Pam was at a church and there was a, um, a missionary from overseas, I think Africa, and she looked in her purse. She had $80. She took the money without question, put in the offering. Once again, $114, I mean $117, I believe, in four bank accounts. So $80 from a humanistic, emotional perspective, I ain't giving nobody nothing. I might put a dollar in that basket, but $80 when that's pretty much <laughs> like we're near critical mass in terms of finances. Got a house, two cars, son going to college, post-surgicals. I mean, all this stuff going on. And yet she put that money in that basket and three days later, mind you, $80. A few days later, our neighbor across the street came across with a, a big bottle of Tide and gave it to us. And said, oh, well, I know it's not much, but, you know, I figured I knew you were out of work, so take this. Took the money, $80. Oh, I'm not done. (laughs) $80. Three days later, I had asked, I had asked, talked to somebody and gave them a referral for a job that wasn't suited for me. He calls me up and he said, oh, the person got the job and they were there for three months. And they said they can get a referral bonus. You get a referral bonus. And they said, I'm going to try to get you the maximum amount. I can't guarantee it, but I'll see what I can do. So I wasn't really counting on them, but I was like, okay. A few days later, hear back. Oh, I was able to not only get you a referral bonus, but the maximum amount, $800. Amen. (laughs) So that's the thing. We can worry about what we're going through. Or at the end of the day, sometimes we've got to just trust God. See, sometimes we think, if I work my gifts now, if I use my talents now, if I plot and scheme enough now, I can work myself out of this. But little do you know that sometimes God has the blessing already on horizon if we just open up the door of faith and say, God, pour out your blessings to me in the time and season I need it. Amen. Sometimes it's in our anxiety and trying to work out stuff that as we try to work it out ourselves, God said, okay, I can't move now. Because if I move, you're going to think you did it through your own efforts. So even though I want to pour out the blessing to you right now, I can't because I don't want to teach you the lesson of self-sufficiency. So therefore, I got to hold it back until you stop trying to work it and you cry out to me and say, hey, I throw in a towel. I can't do it. God, please bail me out of the situation. Then God says, I can move now. Because you've taken yourself out of the self-sufficiency realm into the faith realm. Amen? Hallelujah. So like I said, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) That just hit me too. Give us this day our daily bread. 
One of the reasons you don't want to ask God for, God, give me this day my bread for the year 2015. Well, if you get the bread now, it's stale by the time you need it in 2015. <laughs> I just got to <laughs> give us this day. I don't, you don't need the bread for next week. If he's giving you your daily bread and you're asking for something that's for a week, two weeks, three months, five years from now, well, by the time that time comes, the bread is stale. You just need him to give you today's bread. You want that fresh baked bread from the oven of Jesus Christ. Amen? Shoot, you want that stale, dried up stuff? You want that stuff to come nice and warm out of the oven, from the oven of the throne room of God. Give me the fresh stuff, amen, that I need right now. Hallelujah. Jesus has a sense of humor. Anyway, hallelujah. So anyway, give us today our daily bread and stop worrying about the eight million things that can happen on the morrow. Like I said, you can harm yourself physically by worrying about things of the future. Instead, like I said, you want to plan for the future, but you don't want to be anxious about the future. Now, the next thing he said is very, very important. And it's an area in which a lot of even Christians fail. He said, forgive us our debts. Amen? Forgive us our debts. That's talking about, I mean, we're talking about anybody else right now. We're going to God and say, hey, anything I've done to transgress against you, anything I've done to slander your name, to breach our relationship, to grieve your spirit, anything I've done that may have caused a breach between you and I, I ask you to take away the debt from me so I'm now liberated to interact with you without any skeletons in the closet, any baggage hanging over me, or anything that weighs me down. And we see that Jesus himself instructs us to do that on a daily basis. And that's so important because as you go around on a daily basis, how many times do we mess up before God? Amen? He's basically telling us, I don't want you to walk around with the mindset to be shameful about approaching me. I want you to carry the mistakes of yesterday into today as you decide whether or not you want to interact and communicate with me. No, I want you to deal with the mistakes, repent of the mistakes, allow me to reprove you, guide you, give you wisdom, heal you, all these different things I want you to do. But I don't want you to have the mindset that on a daily basis you're coming into a new day with the baggage, the mistakes, the fears, and the anxieties of the previous day. And the reason for that is that if you do it one day, that one day will become a week, a month, a year, and next thing you know, you're carrying a lot of baggage, which prevents you from going into the presence of God because you're weighed down with burdens or with the shame of all the different things you did. Amen? So he tells us, forgive us our debts. And each one of us has to have our own way, our own personal way in which we interact with God. But regardless of how we do that, he wants us to come into his presence on a daily basis with the mindset that, hey, this is a new, fresh day, God. Amen. I might have messed up royally yesterday. I might have shamed your name. I might have made a mess out of my life. I might have been Dennis and Menace in the kingdom. Amen. But I'm waking up this morning with a new, fresh attitude saying, hey, I have a new chance to get it right, so forgive me my debts in terms of what I did against you. Amen? We see in 1 John 1, 
8 through 10, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, so we have, say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. None of us is that pure before God. You know, each one of us has to, you know, evaluate ourselves and say, hey, what did I do yesterday? How did I conduct myself yesterday? How did I perceive things yesterday? And as I did that and I entered into a new day, as I am honestly evaluating myself, what things can I improve upon? What things do I need to repent of? And what areas did I maybe perceive something wrong and I need to shift gears a little bit to see things upon as, according to God's perspective? We see here that we try to say, I never did anything wrong. I've never sinned. I've never, you know, had temptations. I've never had any bad attitudes or anything. We're seeing here, according to the word, that we are deceiving ourselves because we all, as long as we're in these fleshly bodies, we have different things that we need to work out in our lives. Amen? And that's fine. I mean, until the day we die, each one of us is going to have certain things we need to work out. Some of the things are really based upon our flesh and certain appetites that our flesh have that are unique to us. Amen? But if we take the time to really evaluate them and to work that out with God, he can continue to hone us and refine us. And in the areas where we're dealing with strongholds, he can give us victory over those things. If there's certain things that are various traits that pull us down or entice us, he can start honing and refining us so that we're able to get to a place of spiritual growth, maturity, and strength that we can overcome those things. Amen? But we try to play games with ourselves and say, oh, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me, and God, you can go minister to somebody else. Then all we're going to really do is be in a position with God where, as we see here, not only are we no longer able to change or grow in him, but he says you're actually making him a liar. Amen? So we have to, instead of making, having that mindset that there's nothing I need to perfect, Instead, we need to have the mindset on a daily basis that I am going to be open to evaluating myself. And as I see flaws in my character, I confess those things before God and he's able to deal with my heart, show me through his word or by his spirit how I can change and we can start to refine ourselves in the Lord. Amen. That's one of the reasons why you sometimes see people that have. um, I just remember like years ago. One of the things that happened before I got saved was um, my dad drank. And I was at work, and he had just passed away. And somebody at work who was a member of the same church that was there for years, you know, supposedly a member of good standing, she said, oh, well, yeah, your dad used to be up there in a choir with liquor on his breath. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, here I am. This is anything, an opportunity to minister to me, a son that just lost his father, and yet you came and insulted him and his memory to his son. I'm like, what is up with that? Like, you secretly wanted my dad? That's what it really sounded like. I said, she'd be lucky that I was at work and I tried to respect my elders because I was unsaved then. And back in the day, that was good grounds for a good cursing out. But I was at work <laughs> trying not to lose my job and respecting my elders. But my, the thing is, though, why would you be so evil? 
and mean-spirited, and you're supposed to be somebody that's representing Christ, but yet your flesh is all in the way. That tells me that you're not in the mindset of going through and saying, God, work out this thing that's in me. Amen? To be able to even do such a thing, but yet you go to church every week. So each one of us needs to have the mindset that I've never arrived. You know, I'm a continual student of the Word of God. I'm still trying to grow to be more and more like Jesus on a daily basis. And whether I'm five years old or 85 years old, there's still something that God is working out in me. Amen. Something that I could change. Some habit I need to break. That's not to say we're going to sit here and finger point ourselves and try to find ways to criticize ourselves, especially, you know, nitpicking yourself for no reason. We don't need to make up stuff. We got enough stuff that's real. <laughs> Amen. But the main point he tells us that we need to have the mindset that we get up on a daily basis and say, God, if I messed up yesterday, whether it's in action, speech or deed, forgive me of that. And I'm not going to walk around with a bunch of baggage. And if there is something I honestly did, instead of trying to sweep it under the rug, pretend it didn't happen, instead, I need to go to God and say, forgive me and show me how to overcome this flaw that's within me. Amen? Hallelujah. So we see here, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And he even goes so far to say that his word, or in other words, his principles and his nature are not in you. Instead, we need to say, hey, I, I like what, uh, <laughs> what Paul said. Despite the greatness that Paul had, and they said he preached over 1,300 square miles, which when you consider the age that he was in, 1,300 miles alone was something to be applauded and, and like, respected. It said 1,300 square miles. That entire area, they said he reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? On foot, maybe by horse, by boat. But he reached an entirely, you know, just really, you think about it, a crazy area. I mean, from here, I think, to Lima, Ohio, where Pam's mom lives, I believe that's like 780 miles. He almost doubled that and then squared it. That's just crazy. The impact. But yet, despite his impact, he said, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Despite all that greatness, he was just like, I need to get myself together. I'm wretched. And he talked about pressing toward the mark, the high prize of Jesus Christ every day of his life. So even at the peak of his ministry with churches that he had launched and all these people following him and saying, hey, we're looking for your letters and your wisdom on how to serve Jesus Christ. Despite all those things, his whole life, he said, I am pursuing Jesus Christ and trying to improve myself. Amen. And he said, I'm an unworthy, wretched man that cannot be saved outside of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself. I mean, we should all be that humble. Now, like Psalm 103 and what it says about the mercies of God. Psalm 103, 8 through 14. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. 
For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. <laughs> like being called dust. <laughs> but we see here the mindset of God as he looks down upon his children. It says he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous of mercy. That's a great thing to hear. And it says he will not always chide. In other words, he will not always um, criticize or rebuke you or, or discipline you. It says, neither will he keep his anger forever. Just like any old parent. I mean, there's times where your parents are going to get mad at their children. We've all been there. Especially if you're on the, the, the parent side. You've been there, done that as the child with your parent getting on you. And now as parent, you are now getting on your children. Amen? But despite the level of discipline, you know, a a parent that is a good parent, their children will never feel that you don't love me, even when you're getting the harshness of discipline. You will still know that they're doing it because they love you, and they want you to live a productive life and to live a long life. Amen? So God... As he's dealing with each one of us, there might be times where he has to give us tough love. You know, sometimes we just don't want to get it. We're not trying to hear it. We're turning the ear and stopping up our ears and turning our head, and we don't want to hear what God's trying to tell us to do. So sometimes God will have to come in a little harder to discipline us. But we see here that even though he might deal with us after our sins, amen, he's even in his discipline, he has not truly rewarded us according to our iniquities. Because if we really got what we deserve, first of all, we'd have hellfire. Even if you look at some of the disciplines that we get from him, a lot of times God himself might discipline you, but some of the consequences that, that occur, could occur to you in your families, in your jobs, in society, a lot of times he spares us of that. He might deal with us directly in terms of, you feel like you got smacked on the wrist or you got a spiritual spanking. But a lot of times we don't get the fullness of it. A lot of times God will even seem to mask some of the stuff that we did so that the consequences we should incur, we don't receive. Amen? So even in his chastisement, God still blesses us. He loves us. And in the discipline, he basically shows us where he wants to take us and our capabilities a lot of times. And the thing I like about it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. As far as the east is from the west. Wow. That's a lot of forgiveness. (laughs) Because people in life, unfortunately, people are good about reminding you about your mistakes, especially if your mistakes wounded or inconvenience them. People are very good about repeating back to you the stuff that you did wrong, and sometimes it carries for years. <laughs> You'd be 10 years later, you could be an adult now, and you did something to somebody in their childhood, and they still try to remind you of something that you can't even remember. Amen? That's just how people are. Amen? They'll try to always look at you a certain way and keep you in this box of this is who you are, and you might have done a thousand things past that to prove I've changed, I'm more mature, I'm a better person, but yet they still want to keep you in the confines of that box and what they think you are or what you did to them. Amen? But thank God that he's not like that. We go to God, we repent of our sin, he basically removes all of that, and the only thing God sees is the blood of Jesus atoning for the sins that we've completed, 
Amen? He atones for those things, and God looks at us from a perspective of being righteous and holy and towards the potential and the purpose that he has for our life to keep us on that path. A lot of times, we may have spent years getting ourselves off course, and yet we repent to God, and he picks us up, dusts us off, and bam, right back on the path of where he had us going. Amen? How many people in life will do the same thing? When you mess up in life with people, a lot of times they say, okay, I'll forgive you, but I ain't going to forget what you did. Or, I'll forgive you, but you're not going to get to do that anymore. You've, that's been lost to you. You're never going to get that opportunity back. Thank God that he doesn't treat us the same way. Amen? Hallelujah. So if God says that his mercy is so great that as far as the east is from the west, he has removed it from you. And if God says, as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his mercy towards you. And then he goes further and says, as a father pitieth his children, so he pitieth them that fear or reverence him. How can we not forgive ourselves if God says that? Amen. How can we continue to look at ourselves through the lenses of, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. Oh, I ain't going to never be able to get myself out of this one, you know. Or I did this and it was so terrible before and now you spend the rest of your days looking at yourself through the mindset of what you've done or what people say about you. Amen? I mean, when does that cycle end and when do we allow ourselves not only to go before God and say, forgive me what I did in the past, but then look ourselves in that same mirror and say, you know what, let me forgive myself as well. Because you can't move on as long as you're still looking at yourself from the, from the perspective of your mistakes from the past. Amen? And that, that's the same thing. It's almost like a similar situation to what I said before. We have imaginations about all the bad things that can happen as opposed to imaginations of the good things that can happen. In the same fashion, instead of us looking at ourselves and say, in the past I made a mistake, and we look at ourselves according to mistakes, how many of us look at ourselves according to the good stuff we did in the past? We always had this gift about, <laughs> I'm using that word sarcastically, we had this gift or this penchant for looking in the past and the future in terms of all the negativity instead of seeing like all the great things. I, why not look at the past and say, I screwed this up, but wow, look what I learned from that behavior changed and I improved from that and now look how what I learned from that and the improvements are taking me to where I'm going now why can't we put a good spin on it in other words amen so forgive us our debts as we get up on a daily basis we need to ask God to forgive and alleviate the burdens from yesterday or even further back if necessary and we also need to liberate ourselves to see ourselves the same way and not carry that baggage on and on and on. All right, so once we get to the point of forgiving ourselves of our debts and asking God to forgive us our debts, that means we're alleviated of the burdens of the past. But if we want to be alleviated of the burdens of the past, we also need to have the same mindset that if God has forgiven us and he's not continually reminding us of our mistakes of the past, and we're now looking at ourselves, and I'm not going to self-incriminate or self-deprecate myself anymore. I'm going to free myself to be all that I could be. 
Well, if we want these things to happen in our lives, then we also, and Jesus makes this the next point, that as we forgive ourselves of our debts and ask God to do that, we need to forgive our debtors. Amen? In other words, people who have done things against us. You know, for- forgiveness is freely granted by God. And if we want God to forgive us and let us have a clean slate, we need to have the same level of forgiveness towards other people. Amen? You know, there's nothing better we forget than us getting forgiveness from God and feeling that weight taking off of us. So we have the freedom, the liberty, the lightness that I don't have this big rock weighing me down. You know, the debt of sin, the weight of shame, you know, the weight of all the things I've done wrong. And if we know what it's like to experience that lightness coming upon us, why would we want to be a part of keeping the weight on the, light of, the life of somebody else? that wants a similar release of their burdens. I mean, as you go around in life, there's so many people that are weighted down. Um, and just think, if they've done you wrong and you refuse to forgive them, so they're carrying that burden, think about you that they've wronged and your burden on them, multiply by the number of other people that they've done wrong and carrying that weight, multiplied the number of people that have done them wrong and then maybe carrying the pain of that, and then we wonder why people can't get healed, delivered, and set free by the power of God. I'm not telling you that you can go in and minister to somebody and take the weight of everybody off of them, amen? But we can introduce Jesus to them, and even more so, we can say, I forgive you for what you did for, to me. Amen. I may not be able to take the weight of everybody else off of you, but number one, I can release you of what you did for me so that, hey, you can look at me in the eye and no longer have shame or guilt about what you did. And then through me exercising forgiveness and love for you, I can also introduce you to the Christ who alleviated me of all the burdens that I had. Amen. So that you can have that weight lifted off of you. I mean, that's a weight that's led a lot of people to drugs and alcohol, to gambling. To, to bulimia, to all these different self-deprecating or self-destructive things that snuff their life out early. Amen. You see so many people that are stricken with various ailments. A lot of these things are emotional in nature. Or the enemy attaches himself to different things to make the weight so great that these people literally in their physical bodies are suffering manifestations of really unforgiveness in their lives. Amen. So if we can be an agent that the same way God has alleviated us, why can't we extend that into the life of somebody else? So like I said, none of us wants to walk around daily reminded of the embarrassment associated with our past sins. And we don't want to have the feeling that we have to pay penance for, to, to somebody for something. I mean, it's nothing worse than going to ask somebody to forgive you. And then a week later, they're mad at you again. And you say, what do I do now? Oh, I still haven't fully forgiven you for that. You know, you get to the place you're like, well, how many times can I apologize before you stop reminding of it, me of it or you fully accept, you know, the forgiveness and release me from the penalty of what I've done to you? So if we've done that. We want that forgiveness. We need to extend it as well. And the same way we felt the forgiveness of God, as far as the east is from the west from us, taking the burden of sin off of us, we should have a desire to release people from the burden of what they've done in our lives so they don't feel that weight and that, and that guilt and that shame. Amen? 
Matthew 18, 21, 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Just think about that. Seventy times seven. And I think, really, Jesus was saying, do this on a daily basis. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Not just seven times. But Jesus is like, I'm not, I'm not impressed. You're saying you're willing to forgive somebody seven times a day? He said, no, make it 70 times seven, 490 times. Now, I don't know. There's been people who offended me before, and I'm sure I've offended people before. But it's hard for me to imagine that, okay, I, in this, as I'm trying to keep myself calm, cool, collected, out of trouble, that I offend one person seven different times over the course of the day. Because I try to walk in humility. I try to apologize when I've done something wrong. So it's one thing, seven times, but 490 times. <laughs> Who can you offend 490 times a day? And here we see that if somebody's done that or done it to you, Jesus Christ is saying that you need to forgive that person 490 times. I mean, they get up to seven. I'm thinking like separation. I just can't deal with you anymore today. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out, who will stay there and say, keep it coming, <laughs> 490 times? <laughs> you get around 10, it's coming like, okay. <laughs> but anyway, he's really just exaggerating and making a, a point about forgiveness, amen? Just having a heart that, yeah, nobody might offend you 490 times with, over the course of the day, but if it were possible, he wants us to have the attitude that we go beyond, you know, the normal limitations to have a heart free of offense against any people. Amen. So that's the mindset we need to have. And then Matthew 18, going down further, verses 23 through 35. I'm not going to read it all, but he's basically likening the kingdom of heaven to a certain king. And in the situation, there was a man that owed money to the king. And back then, if you didn't pay off all your debt, they had what was called a debtor's prison. Where they basically throw you in jail and you work it off. And then once you paid the debt, you would be released. So this guy was in a situation where he owed money and he's wanted to pay it. And he basically fell down at the man's feet and said no no please 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 don't do this to me you know um just just have patience with me and give me more time and i'll finally pay it off the debt and as we go through the story the man the lord of that servant was moved with compassion he said all right i'll let you go for it and i won't throw you in jail but then the same man who begged for forgiveness and release from his debt he was in a situation where somebody owed him less money and instead of him showing forgiveness and giving the same release he had just received, he threw the person in jail. <laughs> Creep. <laughs> Amen. How are you going to do that? And the guy's doing the same thing, literally falling out his feet, begging, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. As we see here in verse 30, he says, he would not cast him into prison until he would pay the debt. But the thing is, People heard, knew about the situation, went back to the original Lord that he owed money to and told him, say, hey, the same guy that you forgave 
has now thrown somebody else in debtor pri- debtor's prison. So then when he found out, he got mad, and then it was judgment day for that guy. Amen? And we see here, he called him a wicked man. He said, I forgave you all your debt because you desired me. And he said, but you did not have pity on somebody else, even as I had pity on you. So basically, it's telling us we should not be hypocritical in terms of how we treat people. You know, if you mess up and you expect people to forgive you, you need to extend the same grace and forgiveness in the life of other people. And that's one of the things I've had a problem with over years in terms of some people. Like some of the ones in the body of Christ especially who always want to sit down and, and meet over this and meet over that and we need to talk about this and we need to hash this out and talk about this and that and like all this going back and forth. First of all, we got too many trials, tribulations, things we all got to work through on a daily basis to be having all these different forgiveness meetings. Sometimes as somebody that's stronger than somebody, even though they offended you, we need to have enough maturity in Christ that sometimes we can forgive somebody even if they don't ask for forgiveness. I had a situation years ago where somebody really hurt me. and It was somebody um, in terms of ministry that was in an authoritative position. And the things that happened, the things that were said and done to me were very, very hurtful. But I, you know, spent time like over a year praying and praying and praying about the situation. And eventually the Lord opened up the situation one day where this person actually came to me. We met at a funeral. Um, well, we both ended up at the same funeral. The person saw me, said, hey, you know, excuse me, can I talk to you for a minute? Took me outside apologized to me with great humility and as a person was apologizing to me and the thing that got me about the humility about it was the person not only apologized to me but the person went got his wife took me outside and he basically in front of his wife apologized to me for all things he'd done to me which to me was a very humble act but the thing is because God had already worked in me everything that I needed to release forgiveness I was at the place that whether the person apologized to me or not, it wasn't necessary. So when the person apologized to me, I said, oh, yeah, I, you know, I basically said, yeah, I, I accept you know, your apology. I didn't need it, and I honestly didn't. But what the Lord showed me is that that person needed it at that point more than I did. He needed to be released for the debt he felt he owed me. So therefore, by me being gracious because of what God had worked in me, I was able not only to be free of it, even without the apology, but when the person realized, oh, this is what I did, I'm feeling the way I got to apologize for what I did. By the time he came to me, I didn't need it, but I was able to fully accept it. So all we did is throw our arms around each other, hug, and, you know, and I highly respect not only the person doing it, but the way in which they did it, because that's a hard thing. Like, not only to take you man to man and apologize, but to grab the person's wife. Because what if, I, for all he knew, it could have been like, he might reject my apology. So that was very humble to me, and I really appreciate it. But like I said, I was in a place where I didn't need it. So that's a, the mindset we should all have. Whether somebody apologizes to you or not, be willing to extend forgiveness, even if an apology never comes. Because by you holding on to it and waiting for that apology... You're really hindering yourself and you're keeping baggage and a weight upon yourself that is hindering you from moving where God wants you to go. Amen? Amen? So any weight, whether it's something you've done to somebody or somebody's done something to you, regardless, it's a weight. And the Word of God tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so 
easily beset us. Amen? It's very easy for sin, especially unforgiveness, to come in and to hinder us and to limit us and to box us in. Amen? That word in that passage, the sin which does so easily beset us, the word beset means to surround you or entrap you on every side. So you think sometimes, like, oh, I ain't going to forgive them to apologize. Well, you're hindering yourself. You're being beset on every side. God is trying to show you this is where I want you to go. And everywhere you go, you're hitting this wall, this barrier that you can't get around. And sometimes we think, okay, well, the devil's doing this, the devil's doing that. No, sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's because you're holding on to stuff that is serving as an anchor in your life. Amen? And you're not going to move until you let that anchor go. You look at a ship in the natural, if a ship weighs anchor, they could turn that engine up all the way. And it might move a little bit, but it's dragging that anchor on the ground below. So that ship is either held back or it's stuck on what that anchor is hooked to below. And that's the thing. You may not know you're hooked to something. You may not know that something is dragging or weighing you down. But I'm telling you, if you allow forgiveness to permeate your heart instead of uh, unforgiveness and bitterness and anger, anger and this need for vengeance and retaliation, if you let those things go, watch how quickly God can minister in your life and open up opportunities. And one of the ways in which you could tell if you still have something against somebody, one of the easy ways to tell is if you hear about something negative going, going um, wrong in that person's life, if you feel that, that the edge of your lip curling up a little bit, <laughs> you ain't trying to, you really trying to, you really want to smile because they deserve it in your mind. <laughs> they don't really deserve it, but in your mind, they, that's what they get. <laughs> and sometimes we try to be dignified. Well, I ain't going to say that's what they get, but I'm thinking it. And then sometimes we try to be spiritual. Well, I'm not going to even try to think it. But then you feel that little Grinch. It's just like that Grinch cartoon. <laughs> Where them lips start curling up, thinking about stealing their, their Christmas joy. <laughs> Sometimes in life, we feel the same way. Like, that, like, I didn't do it to them, but, well, they really deserve that to happen. And you just feel inwardly. And we know ourselves. You know, everybody, you could be sitting there just like this. But inside, you could be like, they deserve it. But if you feel that, though, you've got to realize that there's some unforgiveness inside of you that still has to be addressed. So it's nothing to sit there and be all ashamed about. It's still something that you've got to work out and you've got to pray about. Amen? Hallelujah. So God wants us to be liberated. Amen? Hallelujah. Not to be holding down baggage and weight. And we need to forgive people for the debts of what they've done for us. Now, Jesus also talks about Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. James 1, 12 through 16 says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust." And enticed. Then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. All right, it says, Blessed is the man that endured temptation. And one of the things is key, it says in verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, 
I am tempted of God. Don't blame God. I go a step further. Back in the day, Flip Wilson used to do this routine. He said, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. He did not make you do it. Um, As we see here, you are not tempted by God, first of all. And God does not tempt any man. But in verse 14, it says, every man, when he's tempted, he's drawn away of his own lust. Notice that word, own. You are drawn away of your own lust and entice. In other words, sin is very unique and is very personal. Sin has a, a personal relationship with you, just like you want to have a personal relationship with God. And your sin talks with you, it tries to walk with you, and it tries to pull you to do stuff that is contrary to God. And the thing is, some of us have a greater relationship with our sin and our flesh than others. You know, we should be more basically intertwined with our relationship of our spirit man with God because that will give us the strength to overcome our soulish man, our will, and our emotions as well as our fleshly desires. But if you allow the sins of the flesh to get a hold of you, as we see here, it will draw you away from God, not based upon what that person likes or that person likes or their preferences or their vices, but the things that will pull you away are unique to you and it's something that will pull on you in such a way that it may not affect anybody else. Amen? That's why you'll see certain traits. You know, I drank a lot before I got saved, but alcohol has no pull on me whatsoever anymore. Just no pull. I have no desire for it. I have no craving for it. You cannot entice me to sin with alcohol. You just cannot. It's impossible. You know, it just has no power in my life. But there's other things in my life where the enemy will still try to attach himself that he does have a pull. So I have to say, okay, I've got to watch this. I've got to watch that. And some things that might pull me, somebody else, whether it's another Christian male or just another Christian, they might look at some of the stuff that tries to pull and entice me and say, well, what's the big deal? I, I kicked that 20 years ago. But that same person, like I said, alcohol has no pull on me. You can have another Christian male or another Christian person that, ooh, every time I see somebody pour that, that fifth or get that wine, Lord Jesus, they got to pray because that has a pull on them. Amen? So we can't judge somebody else as less saved or less strong in the Lord because it pulls on them and has no effect on us because as you flip the coin, they, we might have something in us that pulls strongly that they're saying, like, what's the big deal? And that's why we have to know ourselves, though. you got to know the stuff that pushes your buttons or pulls your trigger. I mean, or puts a hook in your mouth. You need to know the things that pull on you. Some of the stuff is just based upon your flesh. Your, fle- fresh, your flesh craves it, just straight out. And whether you were a child or you're 90 years old, that stuff's going to pull on your flesh. A perfect example from the Bible, you remember David when he's about to die? What did they do? <laughs> you know how they know David was, they know how they knew David was about to die? They brought in a couple virgins and he wasn't interested. Because everybody knows David liked women. So when they, put, they set those, those two virgins in there and David was like, eh, not interested. They're like, oh, he's he dead this time. David turned down women? Oh, he's dead. <laughs> that, that's, it's a shame, but that's how they knew. Like, okay, he really is about to die this time. 
Same thing with some other people, though. Let a cigarette, alcohol bottle, chance to go to casinos, nice-looking nice male or woman go by, uh, somebody that tweaks their pride, gives them opportunity for power, spirit of jealousy, whatever your vice might be, each of us needs to know what it is. Because some of it is stuff that's literal, that affects your body, that's in the flesh. Some of the things that pull you are not fleshly, but it's more attitudinal. Amen? That's why you see a lot of people, like, even though they make the biggest fool of themselves, they want to be on reality TV. It's not about necessarily, uh, you know, the persons they're going to meet or something like that. It just might be like, I like attention at all costs. Now, the money doesn't hurt. But if you look at it, some of the people, you could tell, like, even without the money, they would do it. If they could do it for free, they would do it because they love the attention. So the enemy knows the things. So like I said, some of it is just in your flesh. Some of it is in your mind and your emotional areas. Some of it, too, comes from different things that occurred in your past. Maybe some kind of emotional, physical trauma in your past. Amen? Uh, Donnie McClurkin said that he basically um, lived the gay lifestyle for a while, but it came out of physical abuse when he was a young man. So his trauma and going into the lifestyle came from a f- physical abuse that was exercised upon him but the lord delivered him of it so that's why we have to examine ourselves and say okay what are the things that entice and pull on me and i can't look around and say does it pull on that person that person no we got to talk about god and talk about me and lord you got to help me with that because that thing's pulling and it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it it doesn't matter if it bothers anybody else that thing pulls on me so lord help me be strong enough to overcome it when I feel that enticement coming. And Lord, if need be, if I'm not strong enough to resist it now, Lord, shut every opportunity for me to be involved with it. Amen. Example, we see that in the Word of God, Hosea. You know, he's praying for his wife. She was out there running the streets and talks about her. Um, Gomer was fooling around with different men. And Gomer, you know, Hosea, uh, he probably wanted a divorce, but God's like, nope, you keep staying with her. He said, you know what? She's a type of Israel. Israel has rejected me as her husband, and she's out there fooling around with false gods and stuff. Gomer is in the role of Israel, fooling around with other men, and you are serving in the role of God, so you're dealing with adultery like I am. So he's like, you're not going to divorce her. But at one point, God came to Hosea, and he said, I'm going to have you pray a certain way. That's going to resolve this problem. He said, hedge her up with thorns. And he started praying those hedges. And Lord, everywhere she goes, when her, her lovers try to entice her, or she's trying to pursue her lovers, block it off, prick their hearts, make them not feel right, give them displeasure, you know, when they're around her. Let them feel pain when they're around her. Do whatever it takes to block the opportunity of sin to come into her life. And as Hosea started praying that, praying that it says in the book of Hosea, she went after her lovers, and they're like, no, can't be bothered. Ah, not interested anymore. Sorry, yeah, not tonight. And that she kept pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And here's the thing. Just because you turn somebody down one time doesn't mean they won't keep going after it. So Hosea had to be determined to keep praying it. And after a while, she got rejected so much by her former lovers. Amen. Not new people, but the people that she was trying to get. That after a while, she was just like, I can't sin anymore. Well, guess life was better than my husband. I'll go back home. <laughs> so he had to learn how to pray 
her out of her sin and out of her temptations. Amen. And some of us got to be able to not only pray that in the lives of other people, we need to pray that hedge on our own selves. Amen. To block ourselves from some of the stuff that can entice us. Amen. So each one of us needs to know ourselves. Hallelujah. Like I said, don't sit here and try to say that, oh, well, they lured me. Or the devil did this or that. No, you have to know in and of yourself the things that pull on you. And you have to be watchful over those things and prayerful over those things that they will not pull on you on a given day. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 15. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. So we see here, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. Oh, I'm so spiritually mature and the devil don't have no place in me. We see here the contrary there. It says, let him that think he stand it, take heed lest you fall. In other words, don't get prideful and think you're all wonderful and spiritually mature and you're so untouchable by the kingdom of darkness. Judas was right at the right hand of Jesus, one of the chosen ones. You couldn't get closer to Jesus. He fell. Why? Because the hook of money and even more so the hook of of an elevated position before all the people of Israel, amen, was, that was his hook. And they came in, and he, he wanted Jesus to, to establish an earthly kingdom where he would be a king, and he would be one of the princes or governors of the kingdom. And when he saw that he could not get power and fame and all the wealth that came with it, Judas, instead of repenting and saying, God, I'm struggling with temptation, instead he sold his Savior out for 30 pounds of silver. Don't think... He's at the right hand of Jesus, and he sold him out. Don't think that you're all that mature and that gifted that you can't sell Jesus out. Amen? We all got hooks that the enemy could get on us. And that's why it tells us here, take heed lest you fall. Don't think you're so mature. Don't think you're so talented and gifted. Don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. No, you are not. As soon as you think that, you're in the greatest danger. Instead, you need to say, hey, here's the things that in me pull on me. Here's the areas in which the enemy will try to entice and undermine and deceive me. Lord, I remain humble to you. Speak to you, me. Warn me. Show me those areas where the enemy might come in so I can prevent myself from falling. I read a book years ago, God's Generals. And it was, it was called God's Generals, and it talked about why some of them succeeded and why some of them failed. This one guy was a prophet of God. He actually founded a city. This guy's church was so powerful, a city, Zion, Illinois, was established. A whole city devoted to God. He turned on God. Can you imagine that? I, I might have done a lot of stuff for God. I ain't never done anything so so powerful in terms of ministry that so many people got saved an entire city was basically established and named after Mount Zion to, to represent God. And this guy fell, you know, and basically started getting to the point where it's almost like he was um, getting a cult to worship me. After years and years of touching so many lives of Christ that literally the whole area got saved and they changed the name of the city to Zion. And yet he fell because he became so powerful in the scope of his ministry that he elevated himself in his heart. And it's like, bow down to me. 
the very author of the book, who did an analysis of all these different people, of the ones that succeeded and the ones that failed. And we're talking about people that raised the dead, people got miraculously healed, all kinds of stuff. The guy that studied all these people and wrote the book fell into homosexuality himself. He researched the subject of why some, some succeed and one, some fail in God. So he even went further. He studied what was people's downfalls, and yet he fell. None of us can think we're so full of God, so insightful, so full of revelation, so full of studying other people that we ourselves can, can't fall. We are all capable of falling. Amen? But we see here that, thank God, he says, there is no temptation taking you such as is common to man. Ain't none of us going to be tempted with something that nobody else dealt with before. So the good thing is, if we're honest to ourselves, and we say, God, watch me in my areas where I'm weak, or warn me in advance to protect myself. Lord, destroy any strongholds of my life. If we're open to going to God and being humble and say, Lord, purify me, cleanse me, take this desire from me, block this situation that can lead me astray. If we're humble, it says here that God, with every temptation the enemy can send our way, as well as any temptation we feel in our natural emotions or flesh, it says God will provide us a means of escape. So if we look for the means of escape, God will get you out of your mess. <laughs> but if you don't look for it, you can get captivated. We can all get captivated. So that's the thing. We have to look for God to f- give us the opportunity to escape. Now, the last thing, uh, the last thing he talked about, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it is well stated that God's kingdom power and glory will last forever and we see you know everything else in our life is just really rendered as dust we're only here in a moment if you think about it you look at eternity and even if you live a hundred years that's just a blinking eye and it's over and we could be forgotten within a generation you know your family your kids will grieve for you your friends will grieve for you but if you really look at it people that have died a year you get like a year or two away you think about them once in a while, but you don't think about them and cry every day like you did when they first died. I mean, you hate to think of it, but the reality is you get a couple years away from the time of that person passing. You may have fond memories, but you're not feeling that weight of grief as much and crying every day. It seems kind of cold, but it's a reality. You just don't cry and grieve like you did at the time of the funeral. You know, because you move on. Whether you like it or not, you move on. So think, multiply that by a decade multiple decades and unless the life that person was really noted by some great military or scientific or historical achievement it really gets forgotten amen i can't remember even all this uh, specifics of my my grandparents you know i remember my grandmother had long flowing hair she was uh, i forget what tribe but she was um, half indian she had long flowing i always remember long you know black you know, ponytail and stuff like that. And I remember certain things on the farm, but even remembering all the names and everything, it's like, oh, what's, okay, Charles and, oh, what's her name? And Robert and Ophelia, and you start forgetting stuff. So our lives are quickly forgotten. That's why it's so important that we think of thine, not me and my personal mini kingdom, but thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's about exalting, extending, expanding his kingdom because that is the thing that is going to last. You want to have something that's going to really last in eternity? 
plant something in the kingdom of God. Amen? You can write down for later um, James 4, 13 and 14. It just talks about our lives being a vapor. And that's why we need to pray and ask God every day, what would you have me to do? Would you have me to build? Would you have me to start this business? Would you have me to go and pursue this opportunity? Because before you think of it, our lives are over. It's just a, a vapor. Just think about striking a match. and We first see that little puff of smoke, and it dissipates. You look at God in his mind's eye, you know, not that he doesn't value us because he prizes us. But if you look at eternity, that's how long your life lasts. The striking of a match or a candle and the puff of smoke that dissipates. Amen. But I want to close with this. Psalm 111, 1 through 10. Praise you, the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He hath showed his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and, right and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. And that pretty much sums it up. You know, we go out on a mindset on a daily basis that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I'm out here on a mission, Lord, to serve you today. And yes, I might, as a fringe benefit of serving you, I might prosper in all the things that I'm doing because God doesn't want us to be the doormats of the world. But we should have the mindset that as I'm going out, I'm representing you. And I'm trying to impact people for you and expand your kingdom. And I want to leave a mark. I don't want to come to the end of my days, however many years I'm here, and just have it be a puff of smoke that left nothing to mark a legacy for the kingdom of God. Instead, I want to live in such a way that I'm living in freedom and love. I know that God has forgiven me for any mistakes I've made. I'm going out and serving him without anything hanging over me and weighing me down. I want to show and demonstrate that same love in the lives of people, and I want to leave a mark, amen, that will stand the test of time. I mean, these people we see in the Bible, none of them knew that their story would be, be recorded for all time. We're talking about the widow and, her, and the might that she gave, amen? She's recording the Bible. <laughs> That's incredible. So sometimes it's the small things that stand the test of time. Anybody at that time would have said, what's the big deal? But yet, we may not know her name, but we know that this, what this woman did because of the love and devotion of her heart. And those are the things that stand the true test of time. And those are the things that as we wake up on a daily basis, God wants us to have on our heart. I want to leave an eternal mark, amen, from what I do here today. Amen. Hallelujah. That's a great thing. Just think, in the year 2013, you could do something in the life of somebody else, or you could pray a prayer, or you can... You know, just give your heart over to God and your cares and concerns and say, I want to do something to exalt you today. And we could be in the year 2050, 3049. <laughs> you know, how many years in the future? Amen. And yet, Jesus will come to us. Remember when you did that? You know, that lady dropped her bag and you picked it up? 
That stands the test of time. Look, she's over there in that part of heaven. Go visit her. We just never know. Amen. The things that God will have us to do that leave a mark in the life of somebody else. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And the final statement is that Psalm 111, before I forget, is referred to as the first hallelujah psalm. Since it praises God for who he is and what he has done from the beginning to the end. And one of the things of note is that they consider it a perfect alphabetical psalm, similar to Psalm 112. Because in that psalm, if you were a Hebrew student, you would see that the entire Hebrew alphabet is contained in that psalm. And basically, similar to us in the English language saying A to Z, they had their alphabet, Alpha to Omega, Alpha to Omega is in that psalm. So because of that, they consider that to be a perfect psalm glorifying God in all his ways and acknowledging him. And we should have the same mindset of God is the culmination of everything. He's the fulfillment of everything. He's perfection. And we praise him and glorify him. Amen. And that's what it's basically saying. He is not only perfect and glorious, but he's also a God of perfect order. And we're looking for him to restore everything into perfection and to order our steps on a daily basis amen and because of that he merits he deserves eternal praise that starts with each one of us on a daily basis amen hallelujah once again let's give him a hand clap thank you jesus thank you jesus hallelujah heavenly father in the precious name of jesus we just praise and thank you lord you be glorified in everything that we do, Lord. And even as we've reflected upon the Lord's prayer for the last couple of weeks, Father, we thank you, praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, that you would uh, just touch each one of our hearts, Father. As we wake up on a daily basis. Show us, Father, how to come before your throne of grace, how to serve you and glorify you in all the things that we seek to do. Let us leave a mark in eternity, Father, in terms of not only what we do, but also in terms of the lives that we impact, that we would show somebody, whether it's um, intentionally and verbally, the kingdom of God and introduce them to it, or through our actions planting seed, we ask you, Father, that we will leave a mark on everybody. And we praise you, Father, that we will not be anxious about anything, bills or career or school or uh, relationships or whatever it may be, that we will not be concerned or uh, anxious about anything, but Father, we would um, submit these things on to you. We know, Father, we cast our cares upon you. Hallelujah. You would, um, as we would glorify and praise your name, you would touch and impact each one of those things. We continue to pray, Father, for those who are under the weather today, that you would touch Tony from head to toe, break the fever, Father, and bring complete and total healing for her. We pray, Father, for Anthony, who's in hospice care right now, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you would do a mighty work in his body, Father. Heal him from head to toe. Take away the pain. Give comfort to his family members. Give this, make this a time of his daughters um, and all his family and friends that are unsaved to come to know you as personal Lord and Savior. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We pray, Father, um, for the upcoming week and the months ahead, Lord, that you would be glorified. Hallelujah. Even as um, another semester is starting for a lot of people, Lord, we praise you that you would anoint their minds, Father, to receive and grasp the materials that they're studying and also to excel 
in everything, Father, through studying, Lord. We ask you to give them divine favor in everything they're doing, Father. We praise and thank you, Father, for this. And once again, we praise you, Father, for continuing to strengthen us in our faith. Give us revelation of what you have um, for us to do in the coming months. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.